today the price of solar and wind energy has dropped to the point where, in some places, clean energy is cheaper than fossil fuels. Welcome to Energized, the podcast created by the McGill Energy Journal. I'm the editor-in-chief and founder, Sofia Trifampoulou. And I'm the director and podcast host, Jacopo Esposito. And in each episode, we'll analyze the fascinating world of energy together, observing the ins and outs of the energy transition. Today, we'll get into the MEJ's very own launch, Origins and Goals, in just a moment with our podcast guest, Sofia Trifonopoulou, a McGill student, as well as the MEJ's editor-in-chief and founder, and the chief strategy officer of the McGill Energy Association. She'll tell us more about what we can expect from the journal and her goals and aspirations for it. Welcome, Sofia. Glad to have you on the show. Hi, Jacopo. Thank you for having me. So, you know, let's, let's get straight into it with like a really important question. What led you to form the McGill Energy Journal and by connection this podcast? So the McGill Energy Journal started in January of 2021, and it was in the middle of the pandemic. And at the time, I had just become vice president of community outreach for the McGill Energy Association. So this is before uh, chief strategy officer or anything like that. Um, my, my job was actually to post on the blog and just keep uh, the McGill Energy Association members um, just kind of uh, interested, I guess. But I, I really thought that the McGill Energy Journal would would be able to come in and really expand um, our brand for us as, as a McGill Energy Association, create a platform for the for McGillians to uh, be the voice of energy for years and years to come. And so it started slowly building. And what we did is uh, at the time, uh, it <laughs> well it began as a vision board stuck to the back of my desk in Athens. Uh, and then eventually I flew back um, after the pandemic and I and we started to create a team. So uh, there was a recruitment process, got an editorial board together, an exec board, and here we are today. And our goal is to make the energy world more approachable for everybody and to uh, really delve deep into the current issues in, 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 in the energy world today. Uh, issues that perhaps the the average student doesn't really know of at the moment and isn't responsible to, but we live in a very uh, in a in a world that was very dominated by the energy crisis at the moment. For example, in in Europe, which we're going to talk about later, uh, and and other things that are happening. So I, f- I felt that it was really really important to just kind of as McGillians leave our mark in the energy world. And the McGill Energy Journal um, once actually once launched in November 3rd, became, I feel like, that for, for, for McGill University. You know, I think, you know, the, the, the incredible team that we've been able to put together, uh, whether, you know, everyone brings something different to the table, which is really, really important. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, what do you think really does that do for the journal and for its efficacy to uh, relay this information to the global public? As you said, like, we have an interdisciplinary approach. We have engineers, we have people studying chemistry, we have policy majors, and I, I feel like once it, it kind of becomes like a dice where you kind of turn in, you see a different perspective of, of the energy world, uh, which is not something we get in the media uh, nowadays. Um, I feel like you could possibly get the policy perspective or the economic perspective, but maybe social issues might be lacking or, or, or stuff like that. So uh, with the journal, you get to, to kind of roll the dice and see every single angle in, that you could possibly get in the, in the energy world. That was, that was our goal. Um, and yeah, basically that, uh, to make energy more approachable 
to you and the person who's sitting across the screen and reading those articles to say, hey, you know, today I'm looking to to understand how business, how the private sector is actually affected by what's happening. And the McGillian who's writing the article is actually the one who will inform you. And they get and, to and express And who's able to relate that information, absolutely. And exactly. it's also, you know, w- with the expansion to, to the podcast as well, which we're on right now, exactly. uh, it has been able to, to also reach a much, much larger audience. So mm-hmm. not only do we do, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, smaller pieces, which are uh, more kind of broad or, uh, you know, longer pieces, which are very, very precise on certain topics and issues, but the podcast is also able to reach out to many other people through other platforms yeah. who, who want to consume this information and who now can, thanks to this journey. So that's really uh, one of the uh, incredible benefits of having created this. So but coming back to you, uh, in terms of your experience and how your life challenges and, and, and experiences have shaped your vision of this, of this journal to what it is today, mm-hmm. um, how do you think this has really made uh, the journal better and uh, you know, really kickstarted the whole process of you creating this journal? You know, I think that's a great question because it really takes me back to the axioms of, of how I started this. Um, so I grew up in Greece, which is a very small country in, in, the, in the southern part of, of Europe, and we actually still have coal there. And our goal is to phase, phase it out by 2028. Um, and I mean, compare us to France uh, or compare us to um, Sweden, um, we're in completely different. Uh, we're in Europe altogether, but we're in completely different stages of, of the energy transition. Um, and we still, uh, along with Poland, are still trying to figure out how to make our target model and whole electricity wholesale market function in a way that suffices and adapts to the energy market at the moment. Um, so that was my first thing, was just kind of internships that I've done and, and just seeing the whole electricity um, the whole electricity sector, yeah, in Greece, really suffer from, from that, Absolutely. you know, use of coal. And the second thing is that my mother is actually a really big inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she is in a Greek, a Greek aluminum company that actually works a lot in terms of, um, in the energy sector, is actually pretty big. And I, she really inspired me, and I feel like I, I got into the energy sector and then I really found out that this world is really actually men-dominated. And, uh, I mean, as a, as a woman, I, at the beginning, it was, it was kind of like, oh, I understand you're not an engineer or, you're, you know, you're also not coming from a math background. But I really wanted to learn and, and understand what's happening, especially with the current events right now. I feel like it was so important that, you know, I got myself involved. And the McGill Energy Journal was my way to kind of do that. It's, Especially through the McGill community. Absolutely, and you know, I think it's also you you allow for a much uh, kind of broader outlook of what the energy transition means, also in terms of its impact on world dynamics, on political dynamics, and on how countries work together to kind of achieve this goal. Um, so, as we said before, everyone in the journal brings something different to the table, yeah. uh, which is extremely important. And in you know, in your case, with what you study, you bring this outlook of a globalized world and how we're able to make this globalized world reach uh, an energy transition and reach a sustainable kind of way of living mm-hmm. uh, including everyone and making everyone feel you know as 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 part of of, of the world that we envision for the future so that brings right. us really to what we're talking today cop 26 everything that we're looking at you know all these countries coming together you with your political science background you know mm-hmm. uh, above than anyone you know must know and must understand how these political interactions are very complicated but the idea that all these countries are coming together today to, to discuss this uh, is really important and of course at the journal we're, we're covering that as well so what are your outlooks your thoughts on it 
Yeah, so uh, COP26, I, I feel like, is, is one of the most important things happening right now, obviously. Um, it's climate finance, I feel like, is the top issue that we should be talking about. Um, so, it, you know, I'm a Gil, I'm, I'm an honors poli-sci student, but I feel like, to me, I always kind of um, create a program for, for me that um, it is actually more about um, policy and energy policy. So when I, I, start, I started following COP26 when I started, and the, the main thing was what's happening, who's going to actually fund this transition, what jobs are being lost, what jobs are being created. Um, you know, money doesn't come out of thin air, and uh, we have there's countries that are transitioning from from coal to natural gas, such as Greece and Poland. We have countries that are already in nuclear, such as France, and countries that are already transitioned in, such as Sweden, uh, to renewables in, in Costa Rica. Um, so you know, at COP26, you get all these different countries coming together at different transition periods. Um, and, and, and they have to sit down and actually talk about <laughs> what's happening and how we're going to fund all this. Absolutely. I feel like that was the most important thing on the table and is the most important thing on the table right now. Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of what we're covering as well uh, with the journal is really this aspect of how these countries are coming to these kind of policy initiatives, how these policy initiatives will ripple out and the effects they will have as well on, uh, you know, on, on the country's populations and so on. Um, and in terms of, you know, looking at really your, um, you know, your background coming from, you know, Greece, coming from uh, a country that heavily relies on coal, you know, how will, do you think, these meetings and these conferences shape the future of Greece, for example? Basically, Greece, as you said, has been functioning on coal and is set to phase it out by 2028, uh, which is basically our goal. But in reality, um, there's still a lot of coal, coal to burn. Um, and I'm saying this laughingly and, and jokingly, but at the same time, that's why you saw so many coal lobbyists at COP26. Um, also, one of the things that's happening is that we just actually got our target model, which is our wholesale electricity market. Up until then, we had no vertical or horizontal integration happening in our markets. Um, and in, it's been a year or a year or so, and now we actually have a lot of firms, private sector firms, entering the wholesale electricity market. So how does that affect the energy transition? We get to have regional uh, cooperation, uh, and we get to have better grid modernization. And it's one of the things that we're actually doing as a country to adapt further to the EU and, and, and their frameworks. And looking at the uh, role of Greece, uh, you know, taking part in the multilateral EU discussion, um, how do you think that EU member states are working together to uh, achieve the targets and goals that they've set themselves? Yeah, no, to, to expand, I guess, from just to move away, I guess, from Greece and just kind of look at the EU as a whole. The EU is really moving towards um, renewables at the moment. And natural gas, which is kind of what's happening right now with, uh, with our energy crisis, um, is that bridge fuel from coal to renewables. We don't know how long it can remain a bridge fuel for, but it's our way to get to renewables at the end of the day. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're aware that we have a 600% to 700% increase in, in natural gas prices, hence what the EU is going through at the moment is um, uh, well a little bit of a, a little bit of a crisis created not only um, from the, the, the EU but also from outside countries like like China for example and other projects like Nord Stream 2 uh, with Russia and Germany 
Absolutely, and looking at the way that these countries are, you know, uh, coming together to to um, kind of affect that and to work together to solve uh, current problems with uh, oil and gas prices uh, rising right now in Europe, um, you know, and moving away from these fuels as well to uh, allow for uh, cleaner energy to be produced and uh, perhaps even one could say energy autonomy on the side of, of Europe, which has very few resources uh, of its own when it comes to uh, the traditional sources of uh, non-renewable energy. Um, you know, technological developments can really help uh, Europe and uh, European member states coming together to develop these technologies could really help um, you know the the ability of Europe to, to self-sustain uh, and and create uh, clean energy so uh, it would be a very very interesting thing to see in the coming years on how Europe will, will uh, adapt and, and get involved in that absolutely on that point regarding self-sustaining Europe it's really important because Europe actually gets 50% of, of its imports from from Russia and one of the things that's really important here is that the LTS, LTS 2050 is not only the way towards decarbonization and net zero emissions by 2050, but it's also a great way to, to, for Europe to become self-sustained uh, when it comes to moving away from natural gas and slowly into the renewable sector. And, and, you know, looking at your um, past experience working, uh, you know, at the European Commission and, and really being involved in everything that is uh, policy making, how do you think that NextGen EU, uh, so the initiatives that are, that are coming right now out of the uh, Next Generation Europe, uh, how do you think they will uh, be able to provide a, um, a green energy transition that is f uh, fair for all and that includes everyone and that brings everyone forward uh, at the same space, pace rather than, uh, you know, just uh, modernizing some parts of Europe rather than others? That's actually a great point. Um, so firstly, I had, I had the honor to work with um, Maria Spiraiki, to work for Maria Spiraiki in the European Parliament. And um, we really, I really got to see what the methane emission proposal going to the commission was really like, we really worked on it and tried to really understand how we can mitigate methane emissions in order to create a better, more sustainable plan for, for LTS, LTS 2050. Um, at the end of the day, I was actually, I was actually the youngest one there, uh, which really made me think um, about the point that you mentioned earlier, which is how does the youth get involved? How do we get everyone involved and what do we do with the missing parts? Number one, the youth, the youth is really important to become involved and we see that with Greta and we see that with what's happening right now in COP26 and, and the protest due to, you know, Glasgow actually moving on in terms of issues of climate finance and um, other things that perhaps weren't necessarily um, talked about <laughs> as, as much as they should have. Um, but we, we look forward to actually seeing those conversations come forward at Davos in, in January and all that. Um, however, when it comes to, to the youth, uh, we can actually get even more involved. That's why one of the reasons we created the McGill Energy Journal was to get the youth more involved. The second thing I want to talk to you about was the missing parts. What happens in the energy transition is not, a, you know, it's, it's not a night, from a day to night transition that you can actually have in like a matter of a days couple of months or, or days. Months, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. You really need to prep things, you really need to plan things. And um, don't forget that there's a private sector. And at the end of the day, we, we're talking about money. And we're talking about people getting involved in the business to make money. 
Absolutely. Um, so and also the policy framework around that to accommodate for that to you know include everyone and, and to make it sustainable. Exactly, and the jobs. Nobody's really talking about that. Uh, people build their families around uh, around let's say specific ways of living. If if they have a job in a coal factory or perhaps in a natural gas work plant, etc. Um, that's that's how they've learned to function. How are we going to make that transition? easier for them, more efficient, and actually to move towards the renewable sector. Absolutely, and allow them to really, you know, integrate themselves in these new technologies, and again, bring in the, the private sector as well to to, to allow for uh, for these changes and and for society to be able to move forward together and really kind of bring uh, a holistic and kind of a, a world impact on the current climate change that is going on. Exactly. Um, and again, you know, this different, these different kind of disciplines coming together, as we've said at the beginning, brings us back to, to our podcast and our team and, and, and what skills they bring to the table, being able to integrate everything that comes from policymaking and the policy frameworks around to really the inner workings of uh, the private sector and uh, the inner workings of the very technical aspects that revolve around making an energy transition. How do you think that really geared your uh, perspective on, on building this team and building it efficiently? Okay, so when it comes to building a team, um, what's really important is during the recruitment process, you need to kind of understand what each person will bring to the table. You can't have too many people bringing the same thing to the table. You need to be controversial enough, but not controversial enough to actually create some some type of uproar. Um, But you need to keep it interesting. People need to get hooked. One of the reasons why some of the millennials or, or some of the Gen Zs don't actually um, look at the news on TV and actually prefer to do it through social media is because it's a more creative platform. They get to interact more. They have a voice. And one of the things that Journal does is allow not only McGillians who are part of our team to have a voice, but also the, the people reading. They can comment. They can ask questions. They can get back to our group. Um, also to mention that we will be having future events where people can actually come and ask industry professionals how all that works. And one of our ways to do so in a virtual way is the podcast, uh, which we're actually on right now. Absolutely. <laughs> um, hence, it's, 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 a, it's a complex way of inner workings that come together to create a framework uh, that McGillians sustain. And it's not necessarily like, you know, the, the, something you'd find in, in, in the corporation world, then it's less intimidating and it's easier to become more involved. accessible as well. Absolutely more accessible. And we always welcome everyone to, you know, come and learn more about the energy world. So recruitment was one of the things. Uh, crisis management is another one of these things. I must tell you, it's actually um, every week we, we get together, we have conferences, we have division meetings, etc. Where we sit down and we say, what are the top things happening in the world right now? What do people need to know um, about the energy world? We don't expect people to know. Absolutely. And, I mean, we shouldn't. Um, but at the same time, there's so much going on in every single forum around the world and every single media outlet you, you turn on at the moment is probably talking, talking about climate about change and the energy transition. Of course, transition. of course. And the team that we've built is able to really, uh, I think, efficiently and uh, precisely understand this information uh, and, you know, dice it up and make mm-hmm. it accessible for everyone and make it understandable to everyone um, and, and is able to give correct and concise um, descriptions of the inner workings of the energy world mm-hmm. uh, and maybe even what impact these, you know, changes are going to have on the readers or, you know, uh, the listeners' life as well. So it's, it's very important that the team reflect the kind of inter- interdisciplinary uh, background that has come into the energy transition and the multitudes of different aspects that come together uh, to, to make this transition efficient for, for everyone. So today, 
you know, I think we've been uh, talking a lot about um, energy. We've been talking a lot about the geopolitical situations in Europe and about the podcast's impact on that and how we uh, are able to, to relay this information to the world. How do you think that the podcast as well as the journal will integrate to allow McGill to transition perhaps better towards a more sustainable future? Absolutely. I love that question. Actually, because at the end of the day, when you do something, there needs to be a rationale behind it and not only a rationale that makes your, you know, your project make sense, but also for it to make sense for the rest of the world and create a, even the smallest change um, to make not only McGill better uh, in some way, shape or form, as we hope, and, but also, you know, the, the world around us, even in the smallest way possible. Um, so the podcast and the journal actually uh, will work together, uh, bounce off of each other. Um, to create a perfect environment for people to come in and learn about the energy world. So in the podcasts, you know better than I do, you've had industry professionals come in and you actually talk to them about what they really do in real life. So we get a really behind the scenes look of what's happening. We don't, you know, we don't get the perfectly, you know, practiced out speech or, or anything like no, no, that. No, it's really a one-to-one conversation or, you know, just kind of a dialogue to, to learn more and to understand more what is happening uh, in the energy world. Exactly. And then from the journal, you actually get to read about things in, in, in great detail. You can also, as we said, read kind about broader, you know, you can have broader pieces, which are very, you know, kind of uh, event oriented, but you can also have very more precise uh, kind of articles looking at you know, different types of energy resources and how those can be utilized mm-hmm. and the evolutions in uh, technological kind of uh, skills to be able to more efficiently produce energy or to you know cap emissions and then so on and so forth. And you know one of the things I've noticed and I think we should probably close with that is that a lot of people don't know that link between uh, climate change and energy transition. They can't really bring one and one to get in you know to create that that wholesome idea. Of and of they're not responsible traffic. to, absolutely. Absolutely, they're not responsible to, but I feel like that is the missing link that we need to understand in order for us to move, go forward with, with the energy Of course, generation. and that we as a journal and podcast uh, need to provide uh, to allow people to understand, to allow people to, to really take part. You know, I mean, after all, it is a collective effort, it's a collective action problem. Mm-hmm. Only through a collective effort can we really, you know, solve this, uh, this energy crisis and, and, and get to a more sustainable future. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, having me. Of course, me. we'll have you back and um, have a good day. Thank you so much. You too.